With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls What If series. Well, today we have been joined by a couple more Reading FC fans to talk about scenarios that we now have from our past in historical times, looking at them and adding a hypothetical twist to them. We've had some good ones about Wembley, managerial periods. Have a look at them. We've had another three of these episodes recorded. So if you look at your podcast provider, you'll be able to find them quite easily. But cracking onto this one, we've been joined by Dave Harris. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Hi, not too bad. You all right? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. And we've also been joined by Jack Killick. How are you doing, Jack? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here today. Cool. So let's get straight into it, Jack. Your scenario is looking back to one that isn't that long ago, involving Vito Minoni saving a penalty against QPR. Take it away. Indeed. So I think we, you know, all aware that in, in recent seasons, we've come quite close to relegation. And looking back on previous seasons, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about a hypothetical scenario where what if indeed we did get relegated. And from digging around, doing some research, 17-18 is the season where we came closest, finishing only four points above Barnsley. So remember the season before, playoff final, defeat to Huddersfield. You know, I hate to talk about it. Um, key injuries to... Uh, Kermigan losing Williams, Al Habsi, and then obviously Stan being backed by the board to bring in what we thought at the time, exciting signings such as Mr. Aluko. But Reading had quite a mixed start to the season, sat 14th in on the 4th of December. However, in my opinion, the real turning point of that season was a home game against Cardiff, 2-0 up at half-time, Mo Barrow with the second goal. And then in the second half, we threw it all away and Lee Tomlin smashes home in the 91st minute heartbreak for Reading. And from then on, Reading never really recovered from that under Stam. One win in 18 games, including a horrible 2-1 defeat to Burton Albion on our 500th game at Lujaski Stadium in front of a packed out crowd. And then on the 21st of March, as we know, Stam was sacked after a 3-2 defeat against Norwich. So two days later, a man, Paul Clement, is appointed. Obviously seen today that it hasn't quite worked out for him since then. But he has eight games left to try and save Reading's season. And his first game is a Friday night game under the lights against QPR. In the 13th minute, Aluko pops up with an absolute scorching effort but Reading 1-0 up and a vital lead moving towards three points. And then a late challenge from Jan Kermigan makes things that bit more tricky and gets sent off in the 86th minute. And then the pivotal moment in my scenario is in the 91st minute, Dave Edwards, with a lazy, tired challenge, brings down a QPR player and the ref points to the spot. So as we know... The scenes, Bedlam, as Minone manages to save that penalty 
and we snatched the three points under on the first game from Paul Clement. Like I said, personally, I think if Minone didn't save that penalty, then things could have turned out very differently for Reading. And as I say, badly in terms of relegation. So had Manone not saved that penalty, that would have been two points chalked off. So that only gives Reading a two-point cushion. And I believe with confidence low, um, you know, Clement failing to real, really bring that sort of bounce at the start of it, Reading would have gone on into the final game against Cardiff, needing a, po- needing a point or a win to survive. And in this scenario, Cardiff have to match uh, Fulham's result and rather than on the day, it ended up with a bit of pinball in the middle of the park, teams passing it to each other. Cardiff decide, right, we're going to go for it. We're going to give something the fans to cheer about. And they give Reading a Tonkin. And unfortunately, Reading are relegated to League One. So in this scenario, I've assumed that a lot of the high earners would have left the club. But a question I have for you, Paul and Dave, is how much do you think the Chinese owners would have backed Reading had we got relegated? And do you think they would have, in other scenarios, we've seen forced players maybe stay at the club for a period, um, maybe against their wishes? And, and how much do you think they would have backed the club had we gone down to League One? So maybe start with, with you, Paul, if you have an opinion on that. That is a really interesting one because we kind of the thought of all the income going from the championship and then into League One. My instinct tells me that they would not put that much money in. (laughs) That's what that tells me there, because their whole aim is to go in the opposite direction to get to the Premier League. And I think it could have been a very tricky period. We could have seen a new set of owners. What do you think, Dave? Um, Potentially a new set of owners. Um, I think on the player's side, um, going down a division, particularly from Championship to um, League One, when you've got um, a group of players who individually, or some of them are individually, you know, good enough quality to play in the Premier League, they're playing in League One, and I think they will, you know, end up forcing a move against the owners' wishes, um, using some, you know, what what many people would perhaps call, you know. Underhand, underhand tactics. Some of the the, the less salubrious side of um, um, uh, uh, football transfers. I think that we would probably end up seeing that. Seeing that, some of them might have clauses in their contracts. We don't know, suggesting that they may be able to be released um, if they go down. Um, certainly, some of them wouldn't be particularly happy um, on the money that they would probably be on. Presuming that the club have been sensible and put clauses into the contracts, uh, 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 wage reduction clauses. Mm. Um, so I, we certainly wouldn't be seeing um, a side in League One anything like what we saw at the back end of seventeen eighteen or at the beginning of eighteen nineteen. Definitely, definitely. And in this scenario, Clement's contract is torn up after only eight games in charge, you know, as I alluded to earlier, he hasn't been very successful after that, including today being sacked by Cecil Bruges. I'm not sure that's, that's probably not how it's pronounced, but similar to that. And also, you know, maybe, maybe even better news to the fans, Ron Gourley 
is given his marching orders and unable to do any more financial damage to the club. And Nigel Howe is appointed back CEO and sets, sets about a return to hopefully the championship. So Howe starts his search um, for a new boss and he looks down into League Two where the Cowley brothers have done a fantastic job bringing Lincoln up from uh, the National League and then in their first season in, into the playoffs in League Two. So Howe decides to look down, down that avenue and bring in some new impetus and more energy um, to the club and maybe they can use their knowledge to bring in some players from lower leagues or on good deals. So yeah, players such as Moore, Blackett, Swift, Barrow, Bakuna, Aluko and Alori all leave the club. However, some experienced heads such as McCleary, Gunter, Dave Edwards, Abita and McShane all decide to stay um, to add that experience and try and help Reading bounce back. In the transfer market, Reading still go ahead and pick up Mark McNulty from Coventry after the fantastic season he had in League Two. Obviously, we know that didn't quite work out in the Championship, but could well have been a decent signing in League One. And obviously, the club already had an eye on him. Maybe a bit more of a kind of exciting twist is that we steal Lyle Taylor from under the noses of Charlton just about just before he was about to sign for them. So that would definitely would have been interesting after we know some of our fans don't particularly like him. But I'm sure if he signed for Reading, they would have absolutely, absolutely loved him. And then to add a bit of steel to that back line, um, controversial transfer, but Reading take Curtis Nelson from Oxford United um, to come in and be that leader at the back alongside McShane and then some youngsters coming into the team. Jem Karajan returns to the club after a year-long stint at Bolton and he adds some steel into that midfield. And Howe wants to really return to the Reading way. So there's a chance for youngsters such as we know have come through now, Omar Richards, Renamota, um, Elise to get some more games. But also there's opportunity for some of the other players who have since left, such as Teddy Howe, Josh Barrett and Danny Loder to also feature heavily, including Mate, who's And Mate gets a chance in the team after his return on, on, from France on loan. So... With, with this new squad, Reading proceeds to have a solid season, although they don't quite have enough to get back up and they finish eighth just outside the playoffs. But we enjoy two lovely derby victories over Oxford in the process. And then the next summer, the Cowley brothers and Nigel Howe continue to build the squad and Royals romp the, romp to the title in the 1920 season with some impressive displays from the youngsters that I've mentioned earlier. And the future looks bright for Reading moving into the 2021 season. So that brings us up to where we are now. Although, obviously, it would have been a very different position in terms of players at the club. I guess the kind of the stature of the overall playing squad. And But yeah, that's what, that's where we're up to in, in present day. So I don't know if, if either of you two have some opinions on maybe, you know, Lyle Taylor coming in or... or Maybe do you think it would be fun to potentially enjoy a season in League One with way games to Oxford and, and and the likes? I think a game against Oxford would be fantastic. <laughs> it's been so long. There's a whole generation of fans that haven't seen it. So it's this mythical thing now, isn't it? It's become way bigger than what it actually is. Although against mm. Swindon, but the thought of signing a player from Oxford as well 
and actually goes into our first team in some ways would add some real spice to it but in some ways it would bring me down dave it's like what level have we reached <laughs> yeah to an extent um you might remember back in uh when was it the year 2000 we tried to sign joey beecham didn't we um, we were very, very close, got to the, the contract negotiation stage and Pardew pulled the plug on it because apparently he wasn't he wasn't um, committed to the move. Um, hey, who knows how fans back then would have taken to it. There was, you know, back then, clearly, given the amount of times that we played Oxford over the pre preceding um, 15, 20 years, there was, um, I think, a significant deal more antipathy towards Reading from Oxford fans. Um, than, uh, than there is today, because of, as we know, it's nearly 20 years since we played them in a competitive game. Um, I think the last time we played them was uh, September 2004. Um, and in a league game, it was 2001. So, um, yeah, uh, it's it's 20 years this year since we played them in the league. Um, and so they've got a, a significant proportion of their fan base who have never experienced a game against Reading. And let's make mm -hmm. no, no mistake about it, they might say, oh, yeah, you know, we don't really care. Um, we, we've got all our eyes on this lot that I happen to live fairly nearby to. Um, <laughs> we're playing red. Um, but make no mistake about it, there, there is a significant amount of dislike between both teams. And if we played them again, then <laughs> let's just say that there'd be a significant police and stewarding presence. <laughs> yeah. Even so, if it was during uh, COVID times with no fans there, they still have the stewards there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, when it comes to, so I've, I've got no huge issues over signing a player. You know, I, in some ways it's, I want, I, I, I'm not really sure how to describe it. It's a little bit bittersweet looking at their squad now with James mm -hmm. Henry, um, They've had Jamie Mackey, of course. Um, uh, they've had Dave Kitson recently. Um, uh, who's the, the, the lad who's just gone to QPR? Um, it's not Dominic Hyam, he's Coventry. Rob Dickey. So there's a fair mm -hmm. fair amount of players. Uh, Jordan Abita, of course. Um, mm -hmm. A fair number of ex-Reading players, who some of whom were reasonably popular, who played for them. Um, it's a little bit bittersweet watching that. And you know, seeing seeing them doing okay, um, with the exception of Jamie Mackey, of course, given what <laughs> happened after he left on loan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not overly concerned about signing signing a player from them, provided they they do well for us. Basically, that's all you all you can ask. If they absolutely tank, um, then yeah, um, might get a bit of abuse from the South Stand from me. Um, but I I I, I can't. Yeah, I can't see see that as too much of an issue, to be honest with you. Some some fans get really precious about signing a, a player from their rivals. Nah. Yeah, and like you say, Dave, as long as they're good, nobody really cares, do they? We can sign a player from Mars if he bangs in 20 goals. <laughs> nobody gives a toss, do they? It's all that matters, isn't it, ultimately? But thanks for that, Jack. A great scenario there. Dave, now we're going to go all the way back to 1995. I remember the heartbreak from this match and just talking about it just it brings back fear in my whole body. <laughs> just, yes. And Dave, now, if you watch the video or listen to the audio, you can see the flag he took to Wembley there. <laughs> it's a quality moment there. So we're going to go back to In the Brunel Arcade. Oh, oh yes. Fiverr. Fiverr. That is money well spent, isn't it? 
Totally. <laughs> Here we go then. So back in the 1995 Wembley playoff final. Here you go then. So 29th of May 1995 and um, around 12 minutes in, Redden have just notched their second goal against Bolton Wanderers at Wembley in the playoff final, Division 1 playoff final. Promotion to the Premier League is at stake. 20 minutes later-ish, referee Peter Folks awards a penalty to the Royals after Jason McIntyre crudely chops Michael Gilks down in the, in the area, preventing a clear goal-scoring opportunity in doing so, but bizarrely is not sent off. But in any event, upstep Stuart Lovell. We all know what happens in reality, but this is alternative reality. So the non-sending off is, is rendered completely immaterial as Archie slots the penalty home low to Keith Brannigan's left, sending the keeper the wrong way and 36,000 Reading fans into absolute raptures. Reading go on to comfortably see out the remainder of the final, weathering a brief Bolton storm after half-time to secure their first ever promotion to the top flight of English football. Pre-season 95 sees Reading retain the services of their most influential players, including the spine of their team, Shaka Hislop, Adrian Williams and Simon Osborne, and additionally sign well within their budget to improve their sides in their football fight against relegation with players like Peter Beagree. Mm -hmm. However, biggest question remains over the viability of Elm Park hosting Premier League football. And in the end, it is deemed a complete non-starter as Reading spends season 95-96 ground sharing at Loftus Road, home of QPR. As a sweetness of Royals fans, though, the new stadium project at Smallmead is expedited with sale of land and administration undertaken in double quick time. And the first turf is overturned at Smallmead at the old Reading tip by Chairman Sir John Medeski, or John Medeski as he was then, he wasn't knighted then, in August 1995. The stadium itself opens in August 1996. Season 95-96 sees Reading fight valiantly against relegation but from the Premier League, but regrettably is a forlorn one. However, the club finances are well-placed and on a much more secure footing than they were, thanks to the pragmatism of Chairman Medeski, while Jimmy Quinn and Mick Gooding retain their places as joint player managers to oversee 96-97 and uh, re-promotion in the new stadium. Mm. Quinn himself finished the season in the Premier League as top scorer with nine goals. Um, the new stadium, christened the Medeski Stadium, was opened in August 96 with a nationwide league Division 1 fixture against Sheffield United. The club goes on to retain minimum Tier 2 status ever since, destroying the sense of Reading Football Club being a lower league club. Yeah, this is why I hear all the time that we're a lower league club. And we are in some ways. Like if you look at history, you know, the facts, they're there. But for the last 20 years ago, we haven't been there, have we, Dave? And nope. I'm still trying to talk about this because the thought of ground sharing with QPR, that is, <laughs> that, that is, oh, no, I can't face that. But it could have well happened, couldn't it? Could have done. And it was talked about, potentially, um, given the, the issues that Elm Park had. Um, I mean, realistically, do we really think Elm Park could have hosted Premier League football on a regular basis? 19, well, it would have been 19 games then. Um, I don't think it could have done with, you know, three sides, pure terracing and one stand with about, well, two and a half, three thousand seats. It was never going to happen. So I think, you know, there were, there were, there were, well, I don't know whether there were discussions, but certainly talk amongst the fans about what would happen. QPR, QPR was mooted. Um, I think uh, the alternative, there was an alternative um, 
at the county ground. Um, but where else could we potentially go? I mean, Stamford Bridge was was not wasn't really a viable alternative. It would have been far too big for us. I think QPR was realistic. It's less than less than an hour down the road. You can get there in an hour on the train. I think yeah, it would have been, and it's and it's obviously hosting Premier League football. So as tough as that would have been, um, yeah, I think it would it would have been it would have been the right way to go at that time, provided the club had the reassurances that the new stadium could be built um, within within a year to eighteen months, which is yeah. I think probably probably realistic. I would just imagine that though that would have been the first season where they going up. We've seen Shaka, Ozzy, Adrian Williams all in the Premier League for Reading. I mean, that would have been magical, Dave, wouldn't it? Those are players and Darius Dovchek as well. Just some incredible players there for Reading. I think, yeah, we would have surprised a few teams. I think, you know, I think again, it would have been a, a fairly forlorn struggle in the end. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have had that now or um, wherewithal to, to win enough games. Um, but I think, yeah, certainly you know, in the lower end of the table, we would have put in some sterling performances, some spirited performances, and and come pretty close. And let's not forget that the back end of that 94-95 season, the South Bank was one hell of a place to be. And I distinctly recall those games, um, the Swindon game, the Bolton game, the Charlton game, those three particular games that really stand out um, when we had um, 12, 13, 14,000 in the ground. Um, and let's say the South Bank was just was just something else, you know. Really, really getting behind everybody, you know. It's a pity that, you know, in, in reality, the next season those, those crowds um, they drifted in the end to sort of sevens and eights again. But yeah, the, the end of ninety four, ninety five, that would have been that would have rolled over into ninety five, ninety six in the Premier League. It would have been packed houses. There's no question that when you have the likes of Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea. Arsenal, Spurs, all of those teams come into Elm Park or um, Loftus Road, as the case may be. Um, yeah, the atmosphere would have been something different. Um, and the players, I think, would have would have relished it at the time. And it's a yeah. pity that someone like A.D. Williams and Darius, mm. they never got to play in the Premier League. Yeah. No, that is amazing, isn't it? I know speaking to A.D., how much he'd love to have played in the Premier League at all, but to play there for Reading would have been his dream. And players like Simon Oswald never wanted to leave. So yeah. have that opportunity. I mean, they have to because footballers are commodities. They get moved around, basically. But, Jack, just imagine that. If our first season we had another period in the Premier League that you wouldn't have even been alive at this point, Jack, would you? <laughs> it's kind of hard to imagine it, isn't it? It's kind of... A crazy time. We would have had three eras in the Premier League. Maybe we'd never know how it would affect the other ones. Yeah, well, you, you just look at the fact. Obviously, you know the first um, kind of Premier League promotion under Koppel. You know, a couple of years later, um, you know another one followed. So had we gone up in in '95, then you know, like like Dave was saying, you know, the infrastructure would start to move forward a lot more quickly. There'd be that money money in the bank, and we probably. Even if we came down, we could have had a had a good shot of going up again, and you know, like like they said as well, potentially um, kind of dispelled the, the kind of the myth that we're were kind of a, a lower league um, team, and we would have had kind of more prolonged success o over the period. But you know, it, it's like dominoes, isn't it? So we'd gone gone up back then, and then you know, now we may have been in a kind of a, a lurch in League One. You never know, just the, the series of events, but. 
yeah, sharing a ground with QPR, God, that, that sends shivers down my spine. I mean... Only for one year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least they really get to walk the game, unlike this last year. Yeah. Yeah, kind of so, Go on, Jack. The, the, way, the way end at QPR is quite fun cramped in there, but I'm not sure you'd necessarily want, want to be in the home end, would you? Like, I'm pretty like, glad we only go there once a season when we play them, yeah. to be honest with you. It's not my favourite ground at all. Not no. at all. Just going no. back to that point you mentioned about the infrastructure, though. I mean, I think that there is a direct comparison there with Bolton um, mm. in that they were also looking at getting their new stadium, the, the, the Reebok as it was. Um, they got theirs a year before ours. Um, so they went up, had that season at Burnham Park, um, went down again um, in 96-97, romped the division, the Division 1, and went back up again and, and started the new season in the Premier League in their new ground. Um, and up until, well, up until they started really massively overspending in the Premier League and getting relegated, they, they were looking at being a... Um, certainly a, a, a sort of a top-end Division I championship, um, lower-end Premier League club. Um, and uh, clearly anybody who knows any, uh, Arthur, Arthur, um, Arthur facts about football knows that Bolton aren't a League Two club. You know, they are a minimum second-tier club, even at the Reebok or the Macron as it is now. Um, so, you know, that similarity is there. Um, but given that we had a significantly more pragmatic chairman than Phil Garpside, there's, um, there's no question in my mind that while we probably would have gone up and gone down, maybe been a little bit of a, a yo-yo club, a bit like West Brom, um, were around that time, or it's the start of the millennium. Um, yeah, the, the, the foundation, the financial footing would have been significantly better. Yeah, totally. And I've got to say, in any podcast that involves repeated mentions of Sir John Medeski, is a good one by me because <laughs> that man has been an absolute well, the best person ever to be involved in Redden Football Club in my lifetime. So thanks a lot to everyone who's listened to this. If you want to go and listen to the early ones of this series, find them as I mentioned at the beginning of the programme and uh, we will be back with more podcasts throughout the week. Thanks for listening.